All right, now here's the uh, crazy thing. This happened in the first service, and it happened again now. The uh, things that you said and that Mary said and the songs that we sing are so in line with what I'm teaching today that, nah, it's all right. Stan's just holding me back. <laughs> no, no. So it's, it's nice when that happens because I feel like I don't have to preach as much of a sermon. So that's like a totally Holy Spirit thing where they didn't know what I was saying, I didn't know what they were singing, and yet here we go. It all kind of worked out pretty well. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. And every time I get to this part of the Bible, of 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, I get really excited because these chapters have been really important to me, especially over the last uh, couple of years. So I'm excited to spend time in it whenever I get to it in my, uh, I guess, you know, daily quiet time. Now, we know uh, the, the new year is here. We uh, have all changed the calendar. My Charlie Brown one went in the trash. My uh, sloth calendar is now up. Like, 2019 is gone, 2020 is here. And I think what we do a lot of the times is when we get to a new year, we kind of see it as this reset button, right? Like, we see this as, you know, new year, new me. That's a, a kind of a common saying, I guess. Or at least that's a, uh, a series that I preached a couple years ago, but that's besides the point. Um, so we get to these new years, and we think that because it is a new year, everything is going to be different. Everything's going to be fresh. Everything's going to be new. But that isn't, you know, always the case. You are not... You don't automatically become a new person when 2020 gets here, right? Like, the, like DNA, you are the same person that you were last year. You're the same person that you were when you were born. Um, so here's, here's what we need to realize. Like, just because it's a new year, that does not mean that we are made new. But when we come to Jesus Christ, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, we are made new. Like something of eternal significance happens. And this is so much more than just uh, the, the turning of the calendar. So life as we know it, it does not automatically become easier just because we come to faith in Christ. I think I preached on this uh, a couple of times in, in my life, and probably almost every time I think I preached here, it seems like I do it. But we all keep circling back. So uh, life does not automatically become easier. Jesus is not a reset button for some of the things that you're going through. And I, I know I'm going to have to choose words carefully um, but to put it really simply, 2019 was not that great of a year for me. Like, I'm glad it's over. And I'm sure some of you are amening in the same way of like, I'm glad it's over too. Like, you are looking forward to something new. You're looking forward to changes. And uh, here's the thing. We know that as a follower of Christ, it can be hard to, to uh, always look forward to something. It can be hard to, to remain you know, steadfast in the Lord, because we can get so discouraged. But the thing is, we have something to look forward to that goes beyond what we're capable of imagining. If we are in Christ, we have something of true significance to look ahead to. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. And what I want us to do is I want us to kind of be reading this together and see uh, some of the promises and the encouraging words that Paul has. And uh, I just kind of keep that in our heads for right now. And so I'm going to walk you through some of the low points of my 2019 and then uh, show you how despite the difficulties that, that we will face, Christ has eternity written on our heart. And I think that is the message that, that Paul is trying to share with the church in Corinth is like, um, hey, look at my experiences. Paul is like, look at my experiences. Look at these things that I've gone through. Look at these things that I'm continuing to go through. But I have my eyes set on something that matters. And so in a way, I'm going to try to do the same thing, where we'll look at some of my experiences and, and how the Lord has kind of worked his, his magic in my life through 
those things. So I'm going to open us up in prayer, then we're going to dive in. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful for today that we can gather in your house. Thank you for the, the words that we sang this morning. I just pray that we, that we never forget that you have loved us so much that you gave your only son, that we are who you say that we are. And I just pray that as we uh, go through this message today, that, that you continue to fulfill your promise of, of your word accomplishing what you have called it to do. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we'll put it all in line. 2019 was a very weird year for me of of some really great things and some really opposite of great things. Um, we just celebrated Benji's first birthday a couple days ago, so that was exciting. That, that was the big change. That was like the, the, the top moment highlight of 2019. Now, any of you that are parents, you know that, that kids are difficult, right? Like, you know, y'all remember. Um, like, they're, they're difficult. Like, there are good times and there are bad times. And Benji, being the lovable little guy that he is, decided to make things pretty hard right away. So uh, we, we, we had him, we had already been up for 24 hours or something by the time he was finally born. And uh, what I've learned in life is that if you are up past even like 15 hours in a day, you're, you're, you're done, go to bed. Um, but Benji didn't want to make it that easy for us. So uh, he, he was born around 11 something in the morning and uh, by five or six o'clock, um, he started choking on something, and uh, so we call a nurse in. It wasn't anything too bad. Like, he wasn't, like, blue in the face, um, but, you know, he was coughing. So this nurse runs in, picks up my, my newborn baby, and just starts, you know, smacking him on the back as hard as she can. And in my brain, I kid you not, in that moment, I'm thinking, I'm going to meet this nurse in the parking lot. <laughs> like, I'm going to come at her with all of the awkwardness that I can muster and any weapons that I have at my disposal. Like, I'm not a violent dude. And I'm very awkward, so it'll probably be worse for me. But I was like, I was ready. Like, I was like, this person's catching some hands. And so she, uh, <laughs> that'd be a very weird time for a visitor to walk in. This pastor fights people. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so anyway, so um, the nurse takes Benji to uh, the NICU, which is, you know, the, the newborn intensive care unit, or the, they tried to say it the nice way, the nursery. Um, that doesn't make it sound better. So uh, he goes in there, and then a doctor comes in a little bit later and says, well, you know, he's done choking. Well, that's good. Um, 
but his heart rate's not where it's supposed to be, uh, and it looks like we think that he has a hole in his heart. Now me, being my father's son, I naturally jumped to Google. And here's one lesson, a little, this is for free for you guys. Unless you wanna be convinced that you are already dead, don't put your symptoms into Google if you have not slept in like two days. Like just play it safe, don't do it. Google's a great tool, not that day. So uh, all this is going on. This is like a weird feeling because I, I guess I'm pessimistic. I start assuming some things, I start assuming bad things. And so all this is going on and, and it's just so sad. You know, you see a little baby that like he doesn't know what's going on. He, like he's just got here to the party. Um, so after four long days, we finally got to take Benji home. Because it just seemed like there was one thing after the other after the other. Most things out here, another sidetrack. I'm, I'm like on a rabbit trail kind of day today, I think. Benji let me sleep last night, so I, I, my brain's a little more active. Um, this is, I don't know if this is a funny story or what it is, but uh, one of the nights that we were there, I hear over the uh, intercom, you know, the, the hospital's going into lockdown. And so apparently they're like, there's an active shooter outside that drove past the hospital. The cops are going after him. A nurse comes in and she says, is your baby in here? And I say, well, I hope you would know where he is. Very snarky. I, I prayed over it. Because um, you would think, like, you came earlier to take my kid to the nursery. What happened since then? And uh, so he was still there, but, like, that's just, like, one thing. And then, like, the day, like, we were supposed to leave the day before. Yeah, we actually left. But they forgot to do Benji's hearing test. So I've already packed up the car. We're ready to go. A, a nurse comes in. She's like, oh, yeah, you guys can't leave yet. We haven't done his hearing test. And I'm like, I've already packed up the car. And I'm starting thinking, can I say on religious principles that you will not do this test and we can leave? Because I was ready to go. Um, but no, so we stay another night. And then that morning, I kid you not, we were the last patient the doctor came to do the hearing test for. And it's like, we've been here four days. Like, can we go home yet? And then so all these little things are happening. And uh, we finally got home. So today is actually the anniversary of, of us finally getting home. So this time last year, early in the morning, I was like, we might still be here in a year. But no, we left the hospital finally, as you can see. So here was one of the great things about taking it home. I was really lucky because this meant I got two extra weeks off of work. And that was like amazing for me. Because during that time in, in my ministry career, to put it nicely, things were not great. Like, things just, I just did not, I was not happy. We just, things were, just seemed like they were falling apart. And to be honest, I felt like I was trapped in this environment. And uh, because I had this newborn baby and I knew that I had to, you know, put food on the table and pay for diapers, because there's a lot of those, and, you know, pay the bills, like, I, I, I just felt like I can't start over. Because this is, like, who wants to travel with a newborn? Who wants to travel with any kid? I've been in the church bus already, just going to Walmart, and that's a lot. Um, like, nobody really wants to start over. Now, here's what I'll tell you about my time in Georgia. I loved my students down there. I still do. Um, and, and they were really the reason we were there as long as we were. But also, God was not done teaching me while I was down there. As hard as things were, uh, he was still showing me things that I felt that, that, looking back on it, that I really needed to know. And here's something that happened a couple weeks ago. I went off to the uh, post office, and I for completely forgot that I had this. Um, I actually got from Walmart, completely natural supplements. We'll throw this out there. 
of the anti-anxiety thing, like little, uh, what's it called, like little, well, I guess medicine sort of thing, because I was so anxious going to work every morning. I was so concerned about what might the day might look like that I just kind of kept these in the car just in case I needed them, and that's all natural. You can go to Walmart and buy it. It's not like I'm a druggie, so don't think that. <laughs> I had to warn the first service. I'm like, I know this is going to sound weird, um, but here we go. And so, like, all this is going on, and, uh, you know, I found myself asking, you know, am I even supposed to be in ministry? Am I supposed to be doing this? But, because uh, I just felt like I was trapped. And so for months, I've been at, I was asking God, you know, why am I here? What am I doing with this? Like, how are you, what are you doing, really? And so I keep this journal by my bed, um, and I don't always write in it, but I did one night, um, just writing out this prayer to the Lord, and it was just this completely desperate prayer. Um, and I shared it on a, a devotion that I wrote a, a while back for the church. Um, and, I, and this is what I was writing. I said, why am I here? Why am I being put through this? Lord, I feel so defeated, and I'm not sure where you're taking me right now. How long, oh Lord, will I continue to feel like this? I feel like there's no hope left to lose. I want to feel like I have a purpose. And Lord, I know your timing is perfect, and one day I will see the purpose to this trial. My prayer is that I'll see it sooner rather than later. Lord, I'm desperate for the crumbs that fall from your table. I have to go back tomorrow, and I feel like I can barely lift my head up. Help me to see your goodness. I need you to help me go even one step further. Now, if we want to admit it, can anybody else feel like they relate to that? Like, this was like, you're pretty sure that I may have looked into your prayer journal and stole that sort of thing. And so here's, here's the thing. We know that God is good, right? Like, we've sang the song. We know the little saying that God is good. There you go. See, look, you had that already this morning. So, uh, like, we know this, and yet we struggle with that still, right? Like, we hear this all the time, and yet we think it's, it's hard to see this plan. And so I found myself asking, you know, two questions. The first was, you know, how easy is it to lose sight of God's eternal plan in the midst of our temporary trials? Like, how easy is it, uh, is it for us to, to assume that the trial that you are going through right now, that that is eternity for you in a nutshell? Like, it's very easy for us to do that because it overwhelms us. It feels like that is really all we have. But there's another side to this question. How easy is it for us to look at our temporary trials and fail to see how God is using the temporary to prepare us for something that is eternal? So while all this was going on, um, I, I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I, was, I was fixated on five verses in chapter 7. Um, verses 7 and 11, here's what it said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I was, I was desperate for that. Like I was, I was like, God, please, like, let me have some of that. And I remember hearing these promises, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Christ, you know, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. And I, and I was thinking, God, I want that. Reveal that to me. So in Georgia, we had a building that's kind of like the CLC. We call it the Youth Center. So for all my youth, if I call it the Youth Center down there, you'll know what it means. Um, I would go over there because it was so quiet over there. Nobody ever walked over there but me. And there was this corner room that I would go into, and I called it my prayer closet almost. And I would go there. And uh, I, I, I just remember saying, 
over and over. And I feel like I was probably even angry. And I was just saying out loud, praying. And I'm, I'm a timid little prayer. I, I don't pray out loud much. Um, but I was praying out loud for this. I was like, God, you know, you promised, you promised this, you promised this. Uh, you know, you said if I would ask that you would give it. If I was to seek you, I would find you. If I was going to knock, you were going to open it. And you promised. And so I, I, I was tired of reading about people who had experienced God's presence because I wanted that. And so I was praying that over and over for an hour. And you want to know what happened? If you were in the first service, don't spoil it. Um, you want to know what happened after I prayed this? Absolutely nothing. God didn't come. There was no sign from heaven. There was no voice. There was no dream. There was no like inner peace. Nothing happened. There was silence, and I had felt so discouraged. And some of you might be saying, I can relate to that. But I had to keep telling myself, you know, God is going to give his children far greater than what I can imagine. And so I prayed the same prayer for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I kept coming to this fact. God promised that he would do this, and God is perfect. God is good. He will not forsake his promise. Now, here's the thing. I, here, I'll preface it like this. I'm not Pentecostal in any way. Like, I am Reformed Baptist to the core. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands usually during worship. I don't even do the, you know, the little thing where, like, you're carrying the small TV. That even feels weird to me. Um, like, like, that's not saying I'm not spiritual. It's just that I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, but he came. The presence of God came. And so, how do I know this? Because I'm here now. I'm not down there now. I'm here now, and I am loving it, throwing that out there. And uh, God answered. God kept his promise. Now, I'm one of those people where I often look back, and I am able to very clearly see where God takes me. I don't always see where he is going to take me, but I see where he was as we were walking through it. And uh, I can see how every moment, every step, every day that I was there was God just saying, you know, a little bit further, you wonder why you're here right now. Or right now, there is a purpose to this. There is a reason, but you have to keep moving forward. So I love this quote by Joni Erickson Tata. Faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. So friends, we don't stop seeking. We don't stop knocking. We don't stop asking. Now, he promises to give us far greater than what we can imagine. It might not always be what we expect, but he gives us far greater than what we can imagine. It doesn't always happen in a day. But the problem that a lot of Christians and non, almost even non-Christians have is that they pray for things and they don't get it in like 30 seconds. They immediately assume that God isn't there or that God doesn't care. It's like uh, what James says, you know, he's like, you know, some of you don't have it because you don't ask for it. And that is the problem. We, we think that if a pillar of fire doesn't come down, that, that God doesn't care. Now, did I lose heart? Like, it took me years to see where God was taking me in this. Did I lose heart in that time? You bet. Like, those were some of the hardest years of my life. And even Laura will say, like, I was not the same person then that I am now. But did I ever think that what was happening to me was outside of God's will for my life? No. Because I trusted him. I knew that he would give what is according to his will and not according to my own. Now, here's the thing. His will for your life is greater than your will for your own. Now, we don't always see it, but absolutely his will is far superior than our own lives or our own wills would ever tell us. So here's where we get back to 2 Corinthians 4. I know we took a pretty long detour there, but now we're back. Um, we see the will of God and the love of God powerfully motivating Paul in his witness of the gospel. So what Paul's saying is that not only he, but all followers of Christ have been given the treasure of the gospel 
and, and Jesus Christ in their hearts despite their weak and broken selves. So do any of you in here actually own a jar that's made out of clay? No? Oh, a couple? There we go, we got one. I'm going to say, I guess this is not third century Rome, nobody, we have ceramics now. Uh, but so if, if, here's what we need to know about uh, jars of clay. They shatter incredibly easily. Like if, if you have a newborn or a almost, well, over a one-year-old at your house, you don't buy clay things because he will find a way to find them. And uh, so we don't have clay at my house. But basically, they break really easily. So what Paul is doing is he's contrasting the weakness of ourselves, not just our physical bodies, but our every aspect of, of human nature with the power and glory of the gospel. So despite how fragile faith might be, despite how sick we can get, despite how uncertain we can be, how depressed, how anxious, how, how just down in the dumps we can be, God works through those things. So he doesn't just make them, or he doesn't just make amends, he makes things new. And the love that he has for you, the new life that is yours through the gospel, is the greatest treasure imaginable, despite the fragile pot that it's in. So uh, I, I heard one preacher kind of describe it like this. Have you guys heard of what kintsuki is? It's a Japanese art form. If not, here's your Japanese culture lesson for today. Um, let's just say for the demonstration, let's say you have a pot. And it's a very valuable pot, and it has a tremendous personal value because a loved one gave it to you. Um, but one day, the pot shatters. You're like, you know, your, your toddler bumps it or something, or you just run into it. Maybe the cat throws its body at it for some reason. I don't know why cats do what they do. But let's say this pot goes down and it shatters. Now you think, well, great, the value's gone. Nobody wants to buy a broken pot, but then you're also hurt because, you know, you got this from a loved one. Now, what kintsuki is, is when you take all the pieces of that broken pot and you mend those broken pieces with gold. And what that happens then, believe it or not, is that it is now more valuable than what it was before it was broken. So in every sense of the word, the flaw is what adds the value. So when you think about it, this is a lot like what God has done for you, isn't it? He sees the brokenness, he sees the, the, the splintered off pieces, and he says, I'm going to mold you and I'm going to shape you into the image of my son. I'm going to give you this treasure, and I will give you value. And uh, he mends you, he forms you. And, and, and it's the beauty of the gospel there, that, that there's this glorious treasure despite our flaws. And so it's like what Tim Keller said. He said, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. So now we can read 2 Corinthians 4 with, with confidence. We can make it personal for us. And we can say, like, yes, I'm afflicted, but by God's grace, I have not been crushed. I'm persecuted, but never once have I been forsaken. What I'm going through right now, it confuses me, it perplexes me, but you know what? I won't despair, because we have that treasure. We are that little fallen-apart jar of clay, but God has given us great treasure. So Paul was able to look at his current trials and realize that they didn't compare to what lies ahead in Christ. And so this is what he's saying in verses 16 through 18. So we'll read that again real quick. Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look to the things that are not seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, don't we as humans, don't we, don't we long or enjoy the thought of another world that we could be a part of. 
Like, we like the idea of being a part of something great. We like the idea of being a part of something else. Um, and so Paul, he's looking ahead, but not just to things being okay here on earth. He's not just looking for, for a better version of himself. He's looking ahead to eternity with Christ. So here's something that we might not realize. Mankind, we have this innate desire to be a part of something else. Like, we, we, we might like our lives, but deep down, if we want to admit it, each and every one of us longs to be a part of something greater. You might know the C.S. Lewis quote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So we, as, as mankind, we're always drawn to the idea that there's something better, something greater. And this is why we love you know, all these great works of fiction like uh, Star Wars, Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you name it. Like We're drawn to that because it, it takes us out of our narrative and it puts us into something new, bigger, and exciting and different. Um, and, and this desire, this isn't just for Christians. This is a universal truth. If you were to look at the 50 highest grossing movies of all time, so things that have, have made billions and billions of dollars, if you were to look at the 50 highest grossing films of all time, would you believe that only one out of 50 is based on a true event? 49 out of 50 of those films are fiction. The only one that is in the top 50 is Titanic. So why would that be? It's because we as mankind, we long for another world. We long to be taken out of our normal everyday lives and placed into something far greater. But here's the thing. Paul has found the thing that he's longed for. It was the very thing that made all his troubles that, that he was going through worth it, and that was eternity with Christ. So it's because of Paul's faith in the God that never fails that he is able to say that his afflictions are light and momentary. Now, my hope is that you guys will think the same thing. But I know at the same time, some of you might be thinking, you know, hey, that worked for Paul. That doesn't work for me. You don't know my struggles. You don't know the, the pain I've gone through. My struggles aren't your struggles. You don't understand the heartache I've had. You don't know the loss that I've had. If I were to trust in Jesus, I feel like he might just let me down. And I get it. Sometimes those light and momentary afflictions don't feel so light and momentary, right? So here's what I want to encourage you with with the couple minutes that we have. Notice that Paul doesn't say that the afflictions are meaningless or outside of God's control in your life. Instead, Paul sees his trials as these God-ordained stepping stones for a better, you know, revelation of God's glory. So this means that in the absolute worst days of your life, you might be having the worst day of your life right now, in the absolute worst day of your life, Jesus Christ loves you. God is there for you. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity so fundamentally different than any other religion in the world, is that it's the only religion where the God of that faith will never ask you to go one step beyond what he went himself. He will never ask you to suffer that he was not willing to suffer himself. And so he asked, you know, have you gone through suffering? I suffered in the garden. Are you going through rejection? I was rejected. Are you forsaken? I was forsaken. I was killed on a cross. I was hung naked. My friends abandoned me. You're not going through anything that, that I have not suffered through. It's the only religion in the world where the Savior says, I've been through this and I know what's on the other side. And it is far greater than what you can imagine. And so Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, it was, it was a great thing of encouragement for me. Um, so even though the Lord is addressing the doubts of Israel, I feel like we can still apply it to ourselves now that we are in this new covenant relationship with the Lord. And here's what uh, the Lord says. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So do you hear what the Lord's saying here? If you're doubting, listen to what, he, what he's saying to you. He's saying, like, like, well, first off, take your name out. Or take, take the name of Israel out. Take Jacob out. Put your name in there. See what that's saying. And it's, it is such a, a declaration of love for you. The Lord is saying, you know, hey, I, 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 I know you. I formed you. I created you. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I love you. You've contributed nothing, but I love you unconditionally. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is profoundly personal. Sometimes we think of, of, of God loving us as if it's just kind of like a take a number sort of thing, and we're just one amongst many. No, this is so personal for us. And, and notice real quick in verse 2, it does not say if you pass through the waters or through the river or if you walk through fire. It says when you walk through them. So God is with you when you suffer. He's walking alongside you. And because he's with you, we will not be overwhelmed. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now here's the, the grand scheme of this. We see in this verse the God of creation, the God of redemption. And so what we see is that the God that created the universe, the God that set the stars and the planets in their spot, the one that has created the oceans and the seas, that has, has painted every sunrise and sunset, this very God has set his sight on your soul. And he loves you. So even though we may walk through the waters, we realize that we're walking hand in hand with the one that, that is sovereign over, over every little drop of water. So when Jesus is the goal in your life, he helps you to see each and every trouble as just a light and momentary affliction. Now, not too long ago, I finished reading uh, The Pilgrim's Progress for like the first time since high school. And I, I figured, I, I was going to mention Pilgrim's Progress this past Wednesday night, but I figured a book written that long ago, there's not a single teenager in the world that's going to understand it. How about, we'll, we'll test. Has anybody in here read Pilgrim's Progress? We got it. We got one. Yes. Now I know what to do for Wednesday. Um, just read a book. Uh, but th there's this part towards the end of the book, you might be familiar with it. There's these two characters, you have Christian and you have Hopeful. And uh, there's this part where they're making their way towards the celestial city, which is, is heaven in the book. And uh, they have to cross this river to get there. And there's this, this moment where, where Christian is passing through the river and he starts struggling and he feels like the waters are just going to completely overwhelm him. And uh, they're just going to crush him. So he yells out to Hopeful, like, you know, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to get there. But Hopeful... He says to him, you know, brother, I see the gates, and there are men waiting there for us. Christian's like, you know, there's no way. They're for you. They're not for me. But uh, what Hopeful does is he, he yells at him. He says, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ makes you whole. And as soon as Hopeful tells Christian that, Christian regains his strength, and he makes it through the river to the other side. And what I like about this image is that as Christians, we are going to struggle. We're going to go through rivers. We're going to go through these moments where we feel like we're going to be completely just drowned out by the waters around us. But our ability to make it does not depend on how well you can swim. It depends on Jesus Christ. So when we feel like we can't take another step, remind yourself that Jesus Christ is walking with you, that, that even though you are a, a, a shattering little jar, inside of you is this great treasure of the glory of God. And so... When we think that the afflictions, they're not very light or momentary, we can remind ourselves that, that they are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond any and all comparison. So, like Christian, we can be of good cheer because Jesus Christ makes us whole. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for 
the fact that, that we are imperfect because in that imperfection we can see your goodness, we can see your glory, we can see how you make all things new. And I pray that we just always long and desire more of your presence. Let us not just be content with, with the crumbs of, of your goodness. Let us, let us long for the, a feast of, of you. And Lord, I just pray that if, if there's anyone here who has not yet embraced these truths of the gospel, that today is the day that they stop running, that they stop being weary. They, I can know how tiresome it can be. Let us come to your cross. Let, some of us, we, we've looked at the cross for so long, but we've never fallen down on our face in front of it. Let today be the day that we fall and, and, and come to you in just desperation. Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up. Let's sing together. If, uh, if you're still waiting for, uh, you know, hope, let today be the day where you see the hope and the great goodness of Jesus Christ. Ooh.